Come one, come all. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie. This week, we are covering The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. That's right. The Conjuring. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm. Huge figureheads in the true crime, mystery, occult, urban legend sphere. This franchise is ubiquitous now. So much so that we're approaching a decade in. Do we need to put a light on where this is coming from? Who are all these people? Uh, And I thought, why not? This is a great way to do it. (laughs) Because the franchise snuck up on me. Two billion dollars gross for the whole thing against 178 million. Wow. This says it's the second highest grossing horror franchise. Oh, my gosh. Number one, they said, is Godzilla, which I don't even consider really a horror franchise so it might be it like it, it beats be, out yeah. friday the 13th it beats out halloween oh it beats God. out alien i mean it's crazy that it is depending on your metric the biggest horror franchise and probably post marvel an interconnected cinematic universe they're all one that world. is what it looks like to me this looks like the horror attempt at a marvel style cinematic mm-hmm. universe and it's so interesting that it's hinged on to people who really existed and really did look into these things. And so if since the beginning, I, I've always been a horror fan, especially when you know I was, I was in college when the first one was coming out. Ed and Lorraine Warren, who I knew because of the Amityville, which is what propelled right, them right. in the spotlight. We'll get to that stuff later. I was, I was very much excited for it. And since then, it has had this balancing act of truth versus fiction. How much exactly. movie can this movie movie? And how... How much is it going to stick to the facts? Yeah, or if you even believe in Ed and Lorraine Warren's practices. Right. What they're doing, you know, the whole thing could be, well, there are no such thing as ghosts, then none of it's true. You know, they at least, looking at the popularity of this, because I'm a numbers guy, 34% of Americans say they believe in the existence of ghosts. Mm. Straight up believe, yes, Yes. these are real. So then, oh yes, it is real. And then Haunted House is the most believed of a supernatural sort of situation versus aliens, witches, any uh, of, like an any attachment of the other to stuff. a place, attachment to, you know. Yeah, so if you do believe it, you believe in that, and that's exactly what they're going for. And then this is a bit of trivia. The American city with the most ghost tours, mm-hmm. so the ghostliest city, do you know? Savannah, Georgia? Exactly. Yes! You are- <laughs> yeah, cha-ching, boo! <laughs> the ghouliest, ghostliest city. I have taken I have taken at least one, if not maybe two. Uh, well, there are dozens and dozens. Savannah. It's lovely. <laughs> I recommend it. I haven't been in a long time, but I hope it hasn't changed. It was, it was great. Yeah, I, I, the, the the ghost tours down there are bar none. That town is so walkable, too. It makes it kind of easy. So you can hit them all up, man. You can just make a day out of just going on the ghost tours. You can walk to everything. It's great. Yeah. So I'm so glad you got that. Uh, Evan has been to the real deal. So speaking of the real deal, this current movie, the third of the base series, is based on a real murder case from 81. Right. What is special about it is it's the first American murder trial to claim demonic possession as the defense. And this is another notch of why this franchise has landed on these two people, because their name keeps popping up with these massive cases. This is the first time this is ever argued in an American court, and their names are right there on it. Mm -hmm. In real life, the claim was thrown out. (laughs) The judge said, no, you can't use this. I don't know if the movie does it differently. I don't they, think it necessarily does. He goes to does. trial and it's the end of the film and everybody knows. You know, er, there is a yeah. knowing across everyone involved, but the the system is the system and it's never going to be 
accepted. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And then they have the after taglines about how they, you know, they him and his wife got back together and then lived an amazing life and they're still married, which I thought was very sweet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They were in a recent documentary as well. Oh, really? Very cool. Talking about it. Yeah. So, but it just it did not affect the ruling. The judge said this cannot be admissible in court. There's no way that you can prove this or just we can't start saying somebody's possessed (laughs) and then they get away with stuff. So he has to have his justice yeah. done so i think my wife turned to me it was like so he got away with it like as they're hauling him back in the court and i was like no because he you see he did it <laughs> somebody killed somebody somebody yeah. they put a demon in court yeah there is a book that was written which is what i read called the devil in connecticut by this guy gerald brittle and he did hundreds of hours of interviews with the actual people with arnie johnson and his wife and the family and arnie johnson is the accused murderer and so the book out for a while in terms of being in print came back in 2006 and Carl, who's the brother of David, the young kid. This film f- circles a small family, a, yeah. a young woman and her boyfriend are looking after her younger brother, a very young child right. who they're moving into a new house, stumbles across something uh, before anybody else does and ends up unlocking a curse. He gets cursed first. The movie opens on an exorcism of this child. Very intense. I mean, they've straight out homage outright the exorcist as (laughs) as the exorcist is actually arriving they do it shot for shot arnie the accused murderer begs the demon inside the child to take him instead so there is your inciting and setting up (laughs) for it all yeah so one of the other another brother of the younger kid carl filed a lawsuit against gerald brittle the creator of the book saying you can't put this out this is not true Mm. we don't believe in this of course the guy Arnie Johnson and his wife, now they're living a happily ever after life, they side with the possession story. Right. But the rest of the family and the younger brother, they're saying, no, none of this really happened. And he says he has another book that's coming out on the truth. Oh, interesting. And so the book went out of print, the original, The Devil in Connecticut, the guy who interviewed them all. And I looked on Amazon and it's like 2000 bucks to get the book, Whoa. but it just came back out in print this year because of this movie. So I don't know. We'll find time and time again with this. There's tons of litigation because of who said what or what is and isn't true and then creating a piece of media. That's fascinating to me because that's the least sexy, interesting thing related to a lot of legal implications (laughs) and like paperwork and follow up and red tape with any one of these things because you're make you're you're asserting something in the public space. Right. And so the Glatzel family who. David and Carl and Deborah, who then married Arnie, they said they were paid 2000 bucks from the book. And they said, or at least Carl does, the brother said they would get more if they played along with this story by the Warrens. And so that's who they sued for damages and distress and that David had a mental illness and recovered from his mental health issues as a kid. And like, this is just a nightmare for so this would assert that the Warrens are going around kind of like paying people to say these things like this happened I get, and go yeah, with the story yeah. and if you do it it'll be incredible which it seems I don't know plausible plausible but I also <laughs> feel like really dangerous because you say that to the wrong right. person who believes what they're in the middle of and you've, you've sold yourself out and everybody would know I don't know that yeah, it's very so. it's plausible but it's or how many times playing undercover yeah who who knows how it all how it all goes down so that kind of leads us to like you're saying lorraine and ed the conjuring universe this whole series is very loosely based on them and their paranormal investigations pulling from their historical material of hauntings and artifacts hence the tons and tons of 
side ones of like, oh, well, how did they get this artifact? Or what was this thing they did? Or what yeah, was the, the origin of the Annabelle doll and all that stuff? So it's always open with a preface of text, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre wants to convince you it was a real thing, you know, like mm-hmm. these are the documents, these are the facts. And then they kind of piece you along with some of these facts to get you through the plot. Uh, mm-hmm. And it kind of holds you, reminds the audience, you know, every 20 minutes or so is like, remember, this is uh, this is real. Wink, wink, you know. Right. And James Wan originally envisioned the whole thing to be called the Warren Files. Mm, yeah. Okay. Which X-Files, anyone, a very similar idea. They're all the different cases and things that they were dealing with. Yeah, I almost wish The Conjuring was the name of the first one, and they were. It was that was like the subtitle, where it's The Warren Files, The Conjuring, mm-hmm. The Warren Files. I forget the one in yeah. London, the second one, but it had a cool name. Uh, and then The <laughs> Warren Files, The Devil Made Me Do It, or whatever. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was the original premise, so you can see how it is. Because the whole thing, it is centered around Ed and Lorraine's chemistry as a couple, definitely. How can they sustain a marriage like this? How can they raise children with a with a basement full of d- demonic <laughs> material artifacts? Like, yeah, which is the Annabelle comes home. That's the whole premise. They leave, and it's a. This is the only one I've seen, so that's why I'm talking about it. Because it's wait, the only did one you I see know. both Annabelles or just the second one? No, there's three now. Oh god, I've seen the third one. You saw the third one? Yeah, and it's a sleepover thing where they leave and get a babysitter for the daughter. And then they open up the secret room and they all get possessed. You know, it's a whole. I got. Bad. I mean, honestly, I now that you say this, I'm like, oh, I could be interested in that. Having just watched <laughs> this one, because I, I swear to God, I didn't expect this one to be very good. Because I did not like the second one as much as I liked the first one. I liked the first one a lot, but I had discrepancies with how much they really contorted the truth in it. I let this third one unfold. And I was really pleased with it. It was really entertaining. It felt like they were genuinely trying to make it a good time. It's very cinematic. Uh, Given how much intent is clearly on screen here, they were obviously really trying with this. And I really enjoyed that, that I could be enticed to go down the Annabelle trail just if if they have half as much intent as this third one has. So Yeah, and some people like them, some people don't. Somebody I read said it's the fast food of horror cinema. Maybe it's tasty or maybe it's smushed in the box. I'm stretching the metaphor. Right. <laughs> but, you know, how how did all this come to be, though? How did we get this? Because <laughs> it seemed it flew under the radar for me. It's just quietly chugging along, making billions of dollars for Warner Brothers. Yeah, I can't even keep I, we, I can't keep track of the movies now. There are more offshoots than the than it's like doesn't the, the nun conjuring. have its own movie? Yeah, yeah, that's its own. And they're going <laughs> to do a sequel. And yeah, it's madness. So where it comes from, Ed Warren himself, this what? is. 20 years before the first film, Ed Warren played a tape of their interview with Carolyn Perrin, the lady from the first Conjuring, their house. Got you from the first movie. Yeah. Played that to a producer, this guy, Tony, Tony DeRosa Grund. And Ed Warren said to him, if we can't make this into a film, I don't know what we can. Right. Long time ago. Yeah. And so this producer, Tony, wrote an original treatment and called it The Conjuring and then tried for the next 14 years to get the film made. Along the way, Ed dies. Mm. So what changes with James Wan, the story perspective changed from the Perrin family to the Warrens right. by these writers. And they interviewed Lorraine to clarify details, brought back the Conjuring title instead of when he was thinking of making it the Warren Files. Right. Ultimately, New Line picked it up and the film comes out in 2013. Gotcha. So it started with Ed saying, hey, I have material that could be a movie, Tony couldn't make it happen. James Wan comes on, changes it because really, like we said, it is about them. And that's kind of the different take is, oh, it's about the calculated investigators, not the family being terrorized. Right. We don't stick with 
this the family are the victims. This is like we need to follow the cop who's solving these mm-hmm. crimes. <laughs> and so the first film earned $318 on a $20 million budget, one wow. of the most profitable horror films in history. Wow. And then Annabelle, the first one, made 40 times its $7 million budget. Oh, my God. 20 million, 7 million. These are small made pictures by modern standards. Absolutely. The the mid-range picture disappeared entirely. Your your 30 to 50 million dollar movies, they just mm-hmm. don't make them anymore. And these micro-budget movies like Blumhouse has made a, they make a career doing this, uh, making incredible micro-budget, small, high concept movies. High concept done in a low concept way. Uh, yeah. that can just end up wreaking crazy benefits. Uh, <laughs> Exploded, yeah. And Lorraine Wilson is pivotal since her husband died. She's on the film sets, visit the sets, consults, which also lends an air of credence to being a factual thing. Right. At at that point, I remember it kind of being like, well, if she is there and is saying, okay, then they can't go too movie with it. I remember (laughs) that being kind of my 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 reaction at the time with it being James Wan, because he's not he's not like the plot guy. Exactly. He's He's a visual guy. He's a visceral guy. Uh, so I was like, well, he's done saw for everybody, you know? Yeah. He started saw and that, and those qualities carry over into his other pictures and even down to fast and the furious. There's a reason they chose him for that. I mean, he's -hmm. turned into a a franchise darling, but I wasn't, I was, you know, with her being there, it aired some credibility, which is so odd because it felt like much of their life, they not striving for credibility, but that was kind of the, their lot in life is like, you can either Mm -hmm. believe us or not. Uh, right. And so and in the end, with her stepping foot on the set and saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, she ended <laughs> right, up giving herself to. and Ed their own credibility in that way. With her saying yes to the movie, that in turn says to the public, yes, this is something close. Right, right, exactly. So interesting, this whole Conjuring series, almost $2 billion now, but what really got them on the map and maybe why even Ed Warren said, hey, here's another idea is because you had teased at the beginning the original Amityville horror situation yeah. where there was a murder in a house and then the family's there. Crazy stuff starts happening. They say, hey, leave. That is them as well. <laughs> they were also investigating that whole thing. Yeah, the, the Amityville horror, for anybody who doesn't know, is one of the most famous ha- uh, haunted house cases of all time. I think DeFeo is still in prison because of the murders. He might have passed away recently. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, um, he did. But they made their own series. That It became a franchise of itself about this haunted house. It was the focus of the franchise and the mm-hmm. people who would move in and out of this house and where it was built and the land. And it, it's an entire franchise. So I, I've got to imagine that the Warrens being right there connected with this. They're the ones saying you can't be in this house anymore. They've got to see, oh, at that point when that takes off and it becomes a, a millions and millions and millions of dollars of a train that they're not on, that they're, they're characters in. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I, right there, you can kind of see where Ed would start to be like, well, man, we've got plenty of material. What? Come, yeah. <laughs> come on, we can do something. I can, I can get it without it being going down any kind of nefarious route yeah, yeah. i mean if if the amityville horror just takes off underneath their feet exactly and here comes the legal and literary stuff with it jay anson an author reporter published the book in 77 based on the experiences of the lutz family lots of discrepancies to real life from the book changes to specifics of the town details the native american tribe is not even from the amityville area right. <laughs> there was no snowfall at the time so how could say they see you know devil hoof prints and gives him under scrutiny and then the lawyer for ronald defeo the murderer, you said, yes. upon whom this cursed house 
rest, said that they all created this story over many bottles of wine. Not the Warrens, like you said, they're sort of out of it. They came to visit. But right. the lawyer of the murderer says he had a meeting with George and Kathy, the owners of the house, discussing the outline of the book with Anson. And then they sort of collaborated oh, wow. and corroborated yeah. this thing. So that then becomes... Oh, well, what is all this legal matter? Because the lawyer thought if we get this book and we get this out, you know, we can get a redo, we can get a retrial, all this other stuff. Right. The people to own it next said nothing weird ever happened except for the people coming by because of the book and the movie. Right. <laughs> we just had a bunch of looky loos. <laughs> they sue everybody regarding it because it's a nuisance and they're getting traumatized, you know, like it's my everybody, house. It's, <laughs> it just becomes a huge legal thing. <laughs> so the important detail for all of this in terms of making it is like, the historical sources, the real town and the stories, that's what allowed a 17 film series because anybody can make a film on it. And they did. They're not all one piece. Right. Any producer, Joe Schmo can say, well, this happened. So let's make what you have is you have an, you have in all of these cases, you have an event and you have a, a, a calamitous event and people write about these things and, and yep. they write about them in the papers. They write about them in magazines. And really you can, as a producer, if you're going to make a piece of content, you can choose any one of these pieces about this event to choose to make media through that point of view. And at a certain point, if it's enough in the consciousness you can just say, well, this is a historical public event. I don't need a firsthand that, account. To that's base how it people try yeah. to sway public opinion in some one yeah. way or the other, either towards the good or towards the bad. But they get a hold of the narrative because they're able to get something like this done. So this led me to, with all these cases and all these things going on, paranormal hunters in general, Ed and Lorraine claim to have investigated over 10,000 cases in their career. All those mentioned above, the haunting in Connecticut was also one that they were involved in. That was a recent right. movie yes, yes, as well. Yes. It's confusing because it's all in New England. <laughs> that was a different one <laughs> that they also were involved in. The split, for those that don't know, Lorraine claimed to be the clairvoyant and a medium, and Ed is the demonologist and sort of the, if you will, science guy of it all, doing the recordings and findings and exorcisms. And it's like something weird is happening with my wife. And I'm going to try to figure out what's <laughs> yeah, happening what around seeing. her. You know? Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. So they worked together. In 1952, they found the New England Society for Psychic Research, which, let me say that date again, 1952. Like you were saying, like, if you didn't know about any of this stuff, who are they? Especially, Lord, in the 50s. God. There's not ghost hunters on the Discovery Channel right. or whatever. This is not a thing. So, so how, do you even, how do you even have the idea that you can... Like sustain a, a living doing <laughs> right. this because it can't be about the money. Like it can't be about the money because there's no money in this. I'm watching these movies, going like, who's paying them? Right. I'm like, how do they make money? They're not a. This isn't a part. This isn't a special FBI task force. How do they pay this mortgage? <laughs> yeah. So Patrick Wilson, the actor who plays Ed, said they were only paid by their lectures. They did a lot of Speaking. touring and whatnot. Gotcha. Yeah. For those that wanted to know. And then he also sold paintings. That's a big part of oh, that's fascinating. the background. They he'd, he'd go to these houses and they'd paint the houses and then they'd sell the paintings and they have tons of paintings of houses in their home oh, in fascinating. New England. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. They also had their occult museum, which is their house, which is actually the, you know, the basement underneath their house where they have this stuff. Yeah. But then again, in a legal dispute, it was closed a couple of years ago because it's not zoned to be a 
quote unquote museum. So there's just too many people showing up there, parking 60 cars in the neighborhood, knocking on neighbors' doors, being like, is this a museum? Right. It's like what you'd have to do is you'd have to kind of turn it into like the Anne Frank Museum and put in a parking lot next to it. So it got closed down. It's a neighborhood. Infrastructure (laughs) outside that leads you on a like path through a specific guarded rail, like you're going on a tour through the built. Yeah. 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 So they, so it's not open, but that's <laughs> hilarious that, again, it's all legal, logistical nonsense yeah. and not spiritual. You see where we're going with this. Yeah. So the <laughs> other thing, literarily, they had nine books that they wrote or were written about them and consulting on these films. So they did have financial success through all of these different things. But it was never, we'll get rid of a demon for $45 an hour. <laughs> that's not how they- Oh, my God. I wish I had like an ice cream truck menu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you've got a hex, <laughs> if you've possession? got a- yeah. <laughs> So then, you know I had to do it to him, look into ghost hunting history. Oh, good. They're not the ones to come up with this. We come from a long line of what? (laughs) Right. This is where I started. Science. Because this has always fascinated scientists because it's a a great thing for them to be like, let's put our method on this and see if it Mm -hmm. holds muster. And I just saw in a scientific article, you know, most people are like, no scientific study has ever been able to confirm the existence of ghosts. But that's through the scientific method. That's not through the method people use to detect ghosts, detect ghosts, right? if that makes sense. So it's like, okay, well, there, yes, there is no proof that they are, but those people that say there is would show you the proof not through that means. So it doesn't hold rigor there. Yeah. But one of the earliest persons involved in this, Harry Price, and I found a copy of his book online for free since in the public domain oh, called yeah. Confessions of a Ghost Hunter. And this came out in 1936, and he actually created the Ghost Club, or was a part of it at least. Ghost uh, Club? S- yes, Seeking Phenomena in England. This happened probably God, up to the 1920s. We have lost the art of a title, Seeking yeah. <laughs> Phenomena. Ah, it's like the, yeah. the starlight barking. <laughs> yeah. And so what's, what's fascinating about this Harry Price guy, and a lot of people merge science with religion, he was super into investigating and exposing fraudulent mediums, but also mm. knew that there were real ones. Mm-hmm. So he, he was doing kind of both because he also had a super knowledge of stage magic. He was friends with Harry Houdini. Oh, Go no figure. Way. This all comes into play. So he's like, Sick. but there's some, I know there's some real people doing stuff, but let's out the fraudsters who are making stuff out of paper mache. Yeah and put it all together. So that's kind of interesting that he was fascinated. He wanted to get to the science of it and wanted to find the real and wanted to expose the fake. This comes out of this whole movement, which I didn't realize was even sort of a pseudo-religion called just the spiritualist movement Uh tied into Roman Catholicism and Christianity that spirits of the dead exist. They can communicate with the living. They continue to evolve. More than 8 million followers in the US and Europe at its heyday in the 1840s to the 1920s. How do you find out about these things? (laughs) Me or people? No, no, not you. I mean, like at the time, how would you, where do you go? Right. So, so the, the, the reasoning for this was part of, at least in New England. And again, interesting where this is all centered. The second great awakening movement Mm. is happening during this time in religion, or at least in Christianity. Right. Mormonism also occurred in upstate New York in this time. Okay if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's a period where these new ideas, different religious sects are coming out from Christianity. And the founder of this spiritualist movement in New England also introduced a technique to induce trances and contact supernatural beings, since that's a huge part of it. He believed- It's called LSD. No, 
<laughs> well, he believed there was an energy transfer between all objects. And I thought this mm. was fascinating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The guy who came up with the spiritualist movement inducing trances, his name is Franz Mesmer, and it's called mesmerism. And so this is where mm. we get the word mesmerize oh, is cool. from him okay. and from this and his and hypnotism comes from this. It's a different thing. But I never knew that that's mesmerize was from a guy's name. No, who was inducing trances to contact supernatural beings. That makes sense now, now that you say it. The science side of it, scientists became converted to this movement as well because they're like, we want a piece of this. This is crazy. We want to figure this out. Right. So Marie Curie was dubious of it all, but her husband, Pierre, who also worked with her, was interested in it, as well as a famous physician turned writer, Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, no. Who we, I think we had mentioned this. We thought it was fascinating towards the end of his life when we talked about Enola Holmes, yes. how he was so about the deductive and inductive methods and then also was into spiritualist ghosts and all that stuff. Right. Uh, he was also a member of the ghost club that Harry Price was Seeking in. Seeking phenomena. <laughs> yeah. And Charles Dickens was another guy in there. Everybody of the time. Oh, man. Is into this stuff. My people. <laughs> Where's all... my member packet? Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, not as much anymore. Faded out as a religious practice due to a lack of organization. Also, individualized experiences. Like I said, the scientific element doesn't hold muster. Right. And then the big thing is these fraud accusations because people are poking holes in a lot of what's going on in the hauntings right. and whatnot as it pertains to making it legitimized. So that kind of throws us to the veracity of Ed and Lorraine, which we've teased around the like, do you believe? What's their deal? I found kind of some scandals and details to come out of their mm. situation, which I would be remiss to not throw yeah, in no, since no, it's getting so popular and specifically their relationship mm. together. Here's the biggest personal scandal that I saw. There was a woman named, or there is a woman, I guess, named Judith Penny, who's now in her 70s. Mm. And she said she lived in the Warrens' house as Ed's secret lover for four decades, oh, the whole no. time they're doing this. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. So Warner Media says this is a producer vendetta. Tony DeRosa Grund, the guy who came <gasps> up with the original thing, he's the one helming this lawsuit and got her or this is what's happening. And he's passed away. With them. This is yeah, yeah, yeah. So the story of Judith Penny, she's saying that Ed initiated a relationship with her when she was 15, lived with them in a separate bedroom. She became pregnant and had an abortion in her 30s. He was abusive. Tons of stuff going on there. And Ed's daughter, Judy, because they do actually have that daughter, Judy, right. and her son-in-law say that Penny came in at the age of 18 and had childhood filled with neglect. She watched their house because they were all gone all the time. Right. She had a long-term boyfriend, and she's being manipulated by this lawsuit. So those are the two sides of things. Mm. But looking further into it, there's, again, interesting legal business mm -hmm. with all of this. Mm -hmm. So Lorraine had particular restrictions on the film and the conjuring and all of this series. Yeah. Some of the stuff was couldn't show her or her husband engaging in crimes, including sex with minors, child pornography, prostitution, or sexual assault. And then neither the husband nor wife could be depicted as participating in an extramarital relationship. A talent attorney said that they had never seen that specific of language. Like a lot of times people will say, if you're making a movie about me, you can't put in this stuff, but it was so specific those yeah it's not it's supposed to give cover and the language itself corners you down to exactly the specificity of exactly what they don't want there is is the bizarre part because it's it's where you could say oh you're not allowed to show us engaged in crimes 
but then they can't break Very into specific. the morgue in this new movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. okay, you can't show you can't show us engaged in crime into into these things. It, it, it's like you you walked all the way to the thing to where you said it out loud on paperwork <laughs> and yeah. now it's very odd <laughs> for all of us that, to have exactly. to speak it. Um, yeah. So that's kind of interesting. We'll see what comes of that in the future. Interesting. There's one other lawsuit that ties into the literature stuff, which I thought was worth mentioning because usually this law stuff is kind of boring or doesn't apply or is mm -hmm. just, yeah, that's the case with making something. But all of this ties into the fiction, the supernatural. So the guy, Gerald Brittle, who I mentioned the book that film three is based on the devil made okay. me do it stuff where he did all yeah. the interviews. And then the other family said they didn't like him, all that yeah. stuff. He also wrote a full biography about the Warrens called the demonologist. He sued Warner brothers very recently saying he had rights to their story and it had been stolen. And he has all the chain of title for that. And they needed his permission and he the, the to suit do is a for series about Ed and Lorraine Warren. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah. So if he, if he had an agreement with them and he has the documentation for that, then they could be on the hook for a lot. Well, the, that's yeah, the, it's the, the property suit, this big. This is huge. The suit was for nine hundred million dollars, oh <laughs> almost a billion dollars, because also, oh as I said at the beginning, they made so much money like it's based on it. Well, he gets he should get the profits of it which is yeah. a lot of money that they would owe him. So if he had an exclusivity agreement with their life rights, uh, God. Wow. yeah, that but you'd would be, think that also would be shocking Warner brothers. How could they, I mean, I knew about this book, <laughs> you know, like it's not, right. it's not a, a crazy thing. So the fascinating argument, and this is what I love about this sort of thing. I mentioned how the Amityville thing can be made because it's public record and yeah. there's so many different things. His legal team, Gerald Brittle said, these are not based on fact. It's not historical record because the Warrens lied about what happened in their stories. Hmm. So he's taking the different approach saying because it's based on his lies, which he thought were true when he reported, but because they're lies, it's not true. He owns the rights to those lies and it's not public record, which anybody could have found. So he's claiming credibility for aiding and abetting <laughs> in a lot. Right. And, and saying on that base is saying that he actually owns <laughs> he owns the benefits of that lie that he just had to completely discredit himself. It's like, actually, it's not public it. record. It is an original story because it is a lie <laughs> yeah. and I own it and it's mine. And That's I didn't know it at the time. But, but then <laughs> you would have to be able to prove it. You'd have to be able to prove it. So here's the ending to this and which had happened. Thank God. Recently, it was supposed to go to trial very soon, but they settled because the producer of the original, Tony DeRosa Grund, had masterminded this lawsuit and Brittle wasn't even involved. It was through Brittle's lawyers, but DeRosa Grund had threatened his attorneys, had side deals and secret text messages and all this stuff. Oh my God. And the reason for that is Tony has been trying to sue Warner Brothers so many times that there was a suit where they, it, he had to agree never to sue them again <laughs> because he believes he's owed millions from the franchise. But he's saying, again, they're covering up unsavory truths of the couple and this young girl and their lies and abuse. So what to make of it? Who knows any of this stuff? This is fascinating. But yeah, I, no I just idea. had to end with that, that all of this, it's like the relationship is the focus of the movies and it's why people love them. But there's so much more unsexy, unsavory stuff 
because and not of the even salacious. I mean, this is we're going into the we're going into what is the truth behind the lies here. I'm even focusing down onto what is the the banal, mundane day to day for Ed and Lorraine Warren. It's like, got another subpoena, you know, like, <laughs> like yeah. oh, I got served again, you know, like oh, in court, in court. You can't say this. They're making a movie about this one, you know, like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. This, it must pale in comparison. What we get in these movies are these are are nothing short of caricatures, and they, and they we, should be. It's a movie, and it's, exactly, it's, yeah. uh, exactly. So they're they're using these things to tell a story. It then becomes troublesome when how you're trying to say how much of it is true. They were true people. Mm-hmm. These are true cases. But like she didn't open up a portal to hell in a <laughs> right. London apartment <laughs> basement. She, you know, like you sh- <sighs> how much movie yeah. can the movie movie? Again, yeah, and you'd think after forty years, if this was a crazy situation, there'd be some malice, some swindling, some craziness. There's some of it with all this legal trouble, right? But you know, Lorraine, she died in 2019, I believe. She was on all of this stuff. She yes, was she consulting. Was she was so aware of this. <laughs> she believes it and sees it and helps people and wants to help people. And this is her calling. It's just such a, like you said, it's such an interesting balance of like a fictional account of it based on real people it becomes a nightmare oh my god that's the true horror you know the legal system yeah exactly that is exactly what what i wanted to land on is like the horror of this is like the mundane bureaucracy of red tape and and who said what and you can't say that i have zoning laws and real estate yeah 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 even god we can't i forgot about that (laughs) it's like they've the house is closed the museum is down it's like you gotta put a whole structure around that yeah. Making it to a park. The Ed and Lorraine amusement park. Yeah. God bless anyway. This is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. This- super interesting. Let us know what you would love to hear about. We love getting messages from you. At Illiterate Pod on Instagram is the best and only way to reach us. You know, I'm, I'm very interested because obviously these movies are wildly successful. Uh, how much does the truth matter to you when you go to, <laughs> yeah. to one of these things? Really, reach out to us. I would love to. I would re- love to hear thoughts on this. Anyway, yeah. uh, we will catch you guys next week. Thank you so much. Yeah.